Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who still loves duck comics. I love talking about these great adventure stories, and um, I really enjoy meeting people and getting to actually actually chat about Disney comics, which I which I never got to do growing up and reading them in isolation. And today, I have a brand new guest host with me, and he's got his own YouTube series where he talks about comic books um, and uh, DuckTales and other pop culture. So I'm going to introduce him by his YouTube handle. I am delighted to be joined by Bucket Think Tank. How about it, Bucket? Did I did I introduce your YouTube channel okay? How, would you, how do you describe it? I would probably describe it as... Another grown man who uh, also really had no one to talk to about this and um, just likes to talk about, likes to share what's going on here. And he's very particular about what he does, which means he's kind of bad at it to some extent. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I talk about primarily Doctor Who when it's when it's fun. Disney is always fun. I did a Disney royalty series where I talked about Disney princes and princesses. The DuckTales lore video, which I did in response to 2017's DuckTales, which I uh, my greatest uh, crime of that was, well, two things. When I did the Life of Scrooge series, um, I didn't use a lot of Rose's actual art by mistake. That was not intentional. Uh-huh. And then I did the, the DuckTales lore on Scrooge. I posted it not knowing it was Don Rose's birthday and it was I posted it to the Don Rose. I'm like, what do you think of this? I didn't realize it was his birthday. And Don <laughs> Rose is not a fan of DuckTales. Uh, so I, I really stepped in it that time. But um, for the most part, you got it right. I'm just a guy who, when he likes something, he wants to share it with people. When he doesn't like something, he wants to share it with people. And, you know, wants to really show off to some extent. Show off to some extent that he has an idea or two. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's it's great. I love I love being a grown man on the internet who you know has this way of connecting with people um, in my very like very particular very specific nerdy interests and just getting to talk to other people about it and share my thoughts and and finding hey there are actually people who are who are interested in listening to those thoughts. It's it's a lot of fun and I think bucket what's going to be really fun. Oh just just again you know we'll we'll do a plug at the end but definitely check him out on. YouTube. You can get there right, pretty easily, right? By by plugging in your handle, Bucket Think Tank, right? Yes, yes. It's um, it's a very out there name, which has its own very not that interesting of a story to it. Um, I used to wear a bucket hat a lot. Um, yeah. And uh, there was a card game that I used to play called Carfight Vanguard. Hated the game, actually. It was a very horribly unbalanced game for me. But one of the things I liked was the Oracle Think Tank group for it. I'm like, okay, let's just sort of put those together. The bucket hat and the phrase Think Tank, which always sounds really pretentious and really smart. Let's do that. And it's stuck. I really like the name. I, th- I think it's nice and sticky. So I think it's I think it's a good choice. But 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 I'm going to be going by bucket with with your approval. 
for the yes. for the recording. And um, Bucket, today we get to talk about uh, a pretty interesting and and pretty weird, frankly, Carl Barks, Uncle Scrooge, and Donald Duck adventure. We're covering back to long ago. Um, this is this is a really kooky story. I've got to say right off the bat, like I I think I think this is a perfectly fine story. This is a pretty enjoyable one. It's not like one of my favorites, but um, but I think it's going to make for a really good podcast conversation just because of some of the background of it and, and how deeply weird this one is. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's a story that I don't think you would look to for like a, a recommendation because when you want to recommend something to someone, you want to get one that just grabs them. Um, this is one of those where after you've read a couple, you're like, okay, this is a this is a fun story. This this isn't one that you'd automatically go to of like for like a comfort story, but it's one of those that gets the job done. Like, you know what? This is fine. This is fine. This is funny in some ways. This is endearing. It has decent art. There's nothing about it that stands out, but it's never bad. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. I think that's a great way to describe it because you're right. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to read this necessarily as one of your first Bark stories. I don't think it's likely to grab you. Maybe someone out there, you know, every story I've found is someone's favorite out there, you know, and some for someone, this was probably their introduction. But you're right. I don't think you would um, tell someone. Oh, you've got to get into Carl Barks. This is just the story for it. Uh, first off, you know, it's it's pretty weird. It's a little bit deep into it. Um, that is kind of how I read it, too. You know, I, I read I started reading Barks in the late 80s, mid late 80s with the Gladstone printings. And uh, I didn't see this one until Disney Comics got around to it. And I think 1993 or so um, they reprinted it with a really cool Rosa cover. Uh, and and I, I liked the story pretty well. I remember I I reread it relatively frequently. It was not one of my like ones that I reread all the time. But but even even the first time I read it, I remember thinking, boy, this is pretty strange. This tale of past lives regression. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember when I used to go to the comic book stores with my grandmother to try to find it because she was the one that would take me to all these different comic book stores to find like um, Uncle Scrooge Adventures comics because that's the ones that I would that I would find. Right. I remember something when I saw like the Paul Bunyan machine and uh, the Hound of the Whiskervilles. I would often see back to long ago, I would just see what looked like Scrooge and Donald, like, you know, holding swords together. I'm like, this looks really cool. I'm like, I kind of I kind of want to see this. And it turns out that's not really there's more to that sort of just the cover which is always a great moment the cover should just be the hook uh you should never go the cover is exactly what the story is no that's, that's never as fun yeah i agree it's nice when the cover just really like does a good job of hinting at the story um it's it's kind of one of my pet peeves is when the cover art like really reveals something at, at the same time i don't like the if we think about the original printing of this which i'm going to go ahead and just mention let, let's start talking about the original printing it, mm -hmm. it was published in uncle scrooge 16 and it had one of those carl barks gag covers that he got to do for most of the the stories um i like it when you know back to the klondike it gives you a really good idea of some of the meat of the story same thing mm -hmm. with on, only a poor old man um, but without really spoiling it. Uh, so so the publication was in cover date of October 1956. Um, this one has been reprinted kind of an average number of times in, in the States. It's had 11 printings, including the original. 
Um, Bucket, this is a relatively short uh, adventure story. It's 21 pages. And, and I think it it doesn't necessarily feel like a rushed story or anything to me, but but it's definitely not as long as his like 32 pages. Yeah, he had a very clear idea of the story he wanted to tell. Um, there's not a lot of twists and turns to it. It's mostly a straight line with maybe one hurdle. It's two different characters in this in this instance where Scrooge and Donald are on opposite ends reaching to the same goal. So that's really where most of the padding happens. And Mark's clearly wanted them to arrive there at the same time. Um, right. So that was really the the one quote unquote hurdle there. And as you you just hinted, you know, the dynamic of this story is that it's a Scrooge versus Donald story. This is this is one of those occasional, they're not like rare, but they they certainly don't happen all the time. Stories where the ducks are not cooperating, they're actually competing against each other. Parks likes to do this every once in a while. It kind of kind of harkens back to the old Disney cartoons that he used to work on. Um, you know what, you know what thought just crossed my mind, Bucket, is as I hold up my my reprint of the Disney comic that Rosa did the cover for. This might be one of the very rare bits of cover art that technically doesn't feature. Um, any of the Disney main characters because we're, we're looking at the on this cover from Uncle Scrooge number 279 we're looking at the regress to the long ago characters that they're going to travel back in time to inhabit Donald as what Boston Pintail and uh, Scrooge um, as Mady McDuck yes um I remember seeing um, these two before and they were like the big hook. This was one comic that as a kid, I was like, I had to find this comic just because it was swashbuckling pirates. I'd sign me up for a Mady McDuck. I don't, I'd seen him in Don Rose's Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck's uh, run. And I had, and then he's on the Duck family tree along with Pintail. He's Mady, Malcolm Mady McDuck. And he's... His story is hilarious in the context that it's provided here. And it's even better when you go to Rose's Life of Scrooge series and it's part five. It's 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 hilarious, the back and forth there. Right. Cause because Don Rosa is really gonna run with the characters and as he does, he he just he picks out some of the details that Barks used. Um, and he uses them for his, you know, biographical story in, in an interesting way. So here's what I want to do, Bucket. Before right. we actually launch into the story, I we got to take a moment to talk about the, the weird hook of this one, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, it's something called past lives regression. Um, in, in this story, Scrooge and Donald separately are both going to visit hypnotists, hypnotherapists, who... Um, put their patients into, I'm, I'm going to use scare quotes around patients. <laughs> they put their patients into a deep trance um, through hypnosis and they talk to them about their experiences in their past lives as separate people, right? So we're talking like same soul, different body. Um, and, and the hook for this is that, you know, this is going to be a fad in Duckburg where a lot of people are going to end up discovering riches that their past selves have, you know, would have known about. But Bucket, do you know anything about kind of the real history behind this? Honestly, I, I don't, but it did sound interesting. I knew it felt like this was a thing that did happen. And if you look at other cartoons 
for of the time, um, like it came out in the nineties, hypnotism was everywhere. Um, Fred Flintstone had gotten hypnotized at one point. Elmer Fudd was hypnotized to think that he was a rabbit at one point, and then right, got hypnotized to think he was Elmer Fudd. Hypnotism has always been a really fun idea. It's always been fun. I think this just felt so natural an idea. Yeah, you're you're right. Hypnotism is a, is a very common trope in cartoons and comics ever since like. I, th- I guess Freud kind of popularized it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this like very specific branch of it, the repressed memories, I think that's a little less common, although definitely there are instances of this in pop culture. But and and reincarnation, right? That's like an, an age-old idea that appears in a lot of world religions. That's in um that's in Hinduism, that's in I, I looked it up and and even old uh ancient Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato's talk Plato talked about it. So, you know, there's there's nothing new about that. But what what did happen in the 20th century is that hypnotism as a way to like support um, to delve into people's like memories became more popularized and and this is crazy I looked this up that the people and people have done like whole podcasts about this specific case but there there is a very specific incident in the 50s that almost certainly informed Bark's you know creation of this story. Um, and it, it it's the story of a woman um, and her past life. The woman's name, her real name was Virginia uh, Tiggy or Taihi. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but um, it's it's the story of Bridie Murphy. And this was first told in a series of articles by William J. Baker and published in the Denver Post in 1954, right? So we're looking at just um, just a couple years prior. In early 56, uh, there was a book released um, called The Search for Bridie Murphy. And, and basically what had happened was in 1952, this amateur hypnotist named Maury Bernstein put this housewife, Virginia Taihe, from Colorado in a trance that sparked off this revelation that she had about her past life as a 19th century, as a 19th century Irish woman. And, and it it became this like sensational thing that was, you know, very widespread in in popular media. Um, There was a lot of interest in it. People would have these like come as you were parties uh, dressing as you as you were in one of your past lives. Um, The book was really popular. There was a movie option for it. I think they did make it. The woman, she was always skeptical about it and she kind of wanted to stay anonymous. She had a pseudonym for a while, but eventually like, you know, as these things do, it basically totally fell apart when people like looked up the details, you know, cause like she, she had all these specific details. Some of them panned out and she spoke with an Irish accent, even though she wasn't really Irish. And, and basically they figured out, sorry, I'm getting keyed up. Cause this was really interesting. <laughs> um, they, they figured out that it, it was a case of something called instead of amnesia, it's this case of cryptomnesia where you like are able to recover real memories from your childhood 
that you have basically forgotten. So apparently, even though she was like raised by Norwegian American parents, she had these like an aunt and uncle who were from Ireland. Um, and there was like a neighbor when she was three that was named Bridie Murphy. Um, and, and, you know, so she must have been hearing Irish, this Irish accent. Mm -hmm. And, and it all, it all just kind of fell apart in that way. But it, it didn't fall apart quick enough for this to really take off and, and just to become a very popular thing that people that really animated people. So, you know, like the most of the country Barks read the paper, he almost certainly encountered this and other similar stories that were really in vogue during, during that span. It is a fun idea. The more you think about it and in regards to her, like it shows exactly sort of the power of consciousness and the mind and what these things, what you can really dig up and how it can affect who you are and how you've developed. And in terms of wanting to find out that, Hey, maybe the life you're living now is just part two of this way more interesting life. This is your cool down period. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you may have been a pirate or um, you know, your march with Washington. You know, it's always a really fun idea. It's it's really tempting to explore that aspect. It's also just fun. I could see like a, a game of it now, like, hey, at this point you were actually, you were actually just a sheep stealer. You stole sheep. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that, you peaked. This is actually your best life. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, because because everyone was like Marie Antoinette or or um, Nefertiti or something in their supposed past lives, instead of like like you say a swineherd or or, yeah. or, a, or a serf in in Tsarist Russia. Yeah, someone definitely at this point thinks they're the lost Duchess Anastasia. All right, right. like it, it's me. I promise you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I think you nailed why why this is so popular, why this is such an inviting and tempting idea. And I don't think that Barks necessarily bought into it, but I think he definitely saw the potential of, of this making a good story because he had to write so many of these. But as you say, hypnotism, it's not the first time he's gone back to that well. Because um, he's used, he's even at this point, there's been a number of stories that featured hypnotism, probably most famously Adventure Down Under. That one gets started off by a really funny experience Donald has with, with a hypnotist. Um, and then there's another memorable one in the, the Christmas story, You Can't Guess, as well as several 10-pagers. Probably one of his most famous 10-pagers is the hyp hypnotism gun or the, the Bing You're Hypnotized story. Um, <laughs> that's a great one to check out. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, a lot of, lot of good background for this one, Bucket. We're going to launch into the story soon. But before we do, I do like to check in with um, you know some of the titles from around the world and pander to the international listeners uh, who can listen to us try to wrap our wrap our tongues around different the stories, titles in different languages. It, it's so, always. yeah, it's, it's a good time. So here's the thing. A lot of these stories, um, they have a, a title that doesn't translate nicely. And then some of the stories, they just basically translate it word for word. This, this is for the most part, one of those that's not too interesting, but I did give you one title that that to me sounds a little more interesting than the others. So I'm going to rattle off a few of them and then I'll let you do that Italian one. But um, okay, so Denmark in Danish, this one is just translated as back to the past. Uh, til bage til fortiden in Finnish. I don't, I don't usually do the Finnish because that's the hardest one for me, but I'm going to try it. Matka 
Menius Meneus Utin is a trip to the past. Um, and then in German, now let's go with French. Um, in French, it's either Tresor Temporel, a temporal treasure, or Voyage dans le temps, uh, voyage in time, or just time travel. So uh, those are all fine, pretty straightforward. Um, they, they did make an interesting choice for the Italian, though. What's that one? They did. They did. So in Italian, it's Paparino e il Tesoro della Regina, uh, which translates to Uncle Scrooge and the Queen's Treasure, which really echoes nothing about what's going to happen. It almost feels like it could be any other story, uh, Yeah, which is, which is fine. It sounds really exciting um, either way. Yeah, I thought it was an odd choice. I don't think any of them quite have the connotation that you get in English, right, with back to long ago, because just long ago sounds um, more foreboding than the past. Um, all right, so we're going to go ahead and and plow into this story. All right, Bucket. So back to long ago opens up. We get one of our very common opening for the Scrooge adventure where um, he is in, he's in his bin, or at least he's in a room adjacent. It's signaled to us how rich he is because he's sitting on a giant money bag and it's full of money. There's a great sight gag that his, his candle is resting on ledgers labeled bills, bills to more bills. Also more yet. I like that. And and what he's doing is he's pouring through his, his accounts, his ledgers, and he discovers that there is a tenant in one of his office buildings that hasn't paid his rent for three months. So because Scrooge is a very hands-on person, he's going to go right over and throw him out. And he's it's 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 an engaging opening. He's striding forth, uh, glaring at the note and figuring out that he calculating that he owes me ninety dollars. Pondering, suppose all of my tenants stopped paying their rent in two thousand years, I'd be broke. And as he gets up to the tenant's office, he he notes that the guy's name is Mesmer J Spellcaster, H P D H, and he says he should add a D B to those initials for deadbeat. Uh, that, that really cracks me up. And the page closes with him just in mid-sentence saying, okay, HP, DHDB, shell out or get out. Um, and, and the hypnotist launches into his tale of woe and what a hard time he's had lately. What do you think, Bucket? I, I like this opening. I think it's pretty strong. I do. I First of all, opening up in the money bin has always been one of my favorite things. The Or money bin adjacent. I remember hearing Barks talking about how, you know, he would always show how rich Scrooge was by, you know, he put money in one room or like money on the desk. He'd do it more and more and more until like, you know, there's a lot of money. <laughs> um the the one thing i don't like about that um opening scene is just the bag he's sitting on it looks like a little too big and it's kind of distracting but i still love the energy here it was was one of my favorite parts of the sunken city you know he's going over his ledgers and it looks so serious mm -hmm. and then you hear this like what the amount is like you no. Know, and i love that he is like you know what I will deal with this myself. Like right. when it comes to people owing him money, despite the fact that he runs a world empire, this is something he has to deal with himself. And you can see that in the invader of Fort Duckburg, when they talk about how Scrooge has bought Fort Duckburg or uh, Kill Mule Hill and the junior woodchucks are still hold up there. And Scrooge is like running out deadbeats is one of my favorite things. Um, so this is kind of it too, but also the absurdity of the fact that, you know, this, this guy owes him $90 and right. he takes the most extreme. You know, if all of my tenants stopped paying in 2000 years, I'd be broke, which is just hilarious as to how rich you have to be 
exactly <laughs> be that yeah. broken and, and you mentioned secret of atlantis this does um evoke that opening where he's going to approach donald for an even more trifling amount uh, and that story you mentioned of course is one of the chapters in rosa's um adaptation of these mm -hmm. stories all right so i i like the back and forth between him and the hypnotist scrooge just has no sympathy for his plight the guy is is explaining to him that he that he's a hypnotist and the business has been overcrowded lately i like scrooge's remark you'll find plenty of elbow room in the park <laughs> um and and i think this kind of mirrors you know how how i was saying hypnotism was a big fad at this point um, he's talking about just all these people have opened up shop and Scrooge references it being a racket, but he says, no, it's not a racket, Mr. McDuck. We believe we can actually levitate persons back in mind to lives they lived hundreds of years ago. You know, so right away, Barks is, is, um, specifying what kind of kooky hypnotism he's talking about. And, and the hypnotist makes him this offer that he will, give him some of his services instead of paying the money that he owes. Um, and Scrooge, you know, initially he has no interest in it, but the hypnotist starts to persuade him. Bucket, do you want to tell us how he goes about successfully persuading him? Well, he does what a lot of good salesmen do, uh, automatically point out people who've benefited from it. Um, he points out to, um, to Mr. Um, Newrich, Mr. Newrich, like, you know, hey, look, this guy, he was penniless when I hypnotized him just last month. But back in history, he found he was one of Pizarro's soldiers and he spied on location of a cache of Inca gold. Like, look at that. Insane. But hear me out. Right. When he returned to the present, he flew to Peru and unearthed the hoard, which he spotted in that former life centuries ago. And Scrooge like, wait a minute. Well, that, that's, that's kind of cool. And, you know, Miss Plush Cake, you know, whom he levitated back to France of Louis the 16th. Like, you know, you know, it, it, it's a great little grift, possibly, but we're showing actual receipts here. She found that in her in her life there, she had been made to Madame du Barry, and as such, she had hidden a great the great beauty's jewels when the mob swept in to loot her chateau. So you know, there's some really good stuff here to really get you like you know this isn't just kind of ridiculous. People are making make making a good profit off of this, off of just sitting down and remembering. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right away, Barks is telling us that no, this is not a racket. This guy, while he might be ridiculous, this is all real. And and this this was kind of one of the things that left a weird taste in my mouth about this story because because I'm such a skeptic and. It it always it always weirds me out to see Scrooge buying into some of these like kind of kooky beliefs, but but it's fine. And you know, in the Ducks universe, this is clearly something that has been discovered to be real. Um, and and so Scrooge starts to mull over the possibilities. We get a great signaling, you know, um, a money eyes panel from him. Um, what does he ponder, Bucket? Um, perhaps long ago, he was keeper of King Solomon's long lost mines, you know, or maybe I was guard of, of the treasure urns in the palace of King Croesus. Um, you know, right. he's like, I could be so, I could have so much more money. I could have so much more gold. Maybe, maybe I was a like secretary for the treasure of the Knights Templar. Like he hasn't said it, but um, yeah, um, the scale can never be too big for Scrooge. It's never just a simple thing. Um on a bit of a tangent, if you look to say the DuckTales movie, uh, when Scrooge has three wishes, he goes for like four wishes in his head. Uh, the world's biggest diamond, the world's biggest diamond mine. No, 
all the diamond mines. No, wait, the entire mining industry. That's right. <laughs> he thinks big. And I think that is a great trait that he has as a businessman, if anything else. Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about that line, but that just uh, transported me back to rewatching that over and over as a kid. <laughs> um, it's interesting to note, of course, that both of those just little quick allusions, King Solomon's mines, the, the treasure of King Cre Croesus. So, of course, it won't be too too long before Barks is going to make a story out of King Solomon's long lost mines. Mm -hmm. um, he does never get around to King Croesus, though. I think uh, I think Rosa will do one of those, and probably any other number, any any number of other duck creators. So Scrooge, you know, he sees the possibility. He's going to take. The, the mesmer, the, the hypnotist up on this offer. And uh, as he sits down, he learns that for $90, he's going to get nine minutes in the quote, rusty past, um, which of course works out to be $10 a minute, the quote, union scale for this type of hypnotism. I like that. It's, it's funny. It's it's a good bit. I'm not going to run that through the inflation converter because I know that it's roughly 10 times plus just a little bit. So we're talking about basically 100 bucks a minute. I, I can just imagine a bunch of hypnotists getting together like, what is what is our set scale right. for the minute of this? Like, you know, because on the off chance they don't get anything and they're not happy, we need like a set amount. All right. Because it may not work. They may not like that they're actually swine herders or, you know, you know, something to make sure that we get out of this. All right. Right. And and Barks, that's a good, that's a cute gag. The, the idea of having a union scale for something ridiculous. Um, you know, he'll talk about the like Beagle Boys having a, a bank robbers union, stuff like that eventually, frequently. All right. So the next sequence the next sequence is about putting Scrooge into his trance. Um, and, and Bucket, there's no suspense about this working. You know, he, he puts him under and it works immediately. And immediately he is catapulted back into the past very conveniently in a rowboat heading to shore with a chest, a, what, what? clearly is a treasure chest and uh, he is accompanied by one other individual and bucket do you want to tell us about about these two people and uh, and their interaction and what they what they get up to so here um, they're just you know on the boat on the rowboat um Matey McDuck is, you know, at the at the stern of it, so to speak. And uh, we have Boston Pintail rowing, almost like this great universal division of labor between these two characters. Uh -huh. And <laughs> he's at um Pintail's asking, you know, um uh, what was in it. Um, it was not said what's in it. And Matey McDuck says, any fool can guess his riches from the Spanish treasure ship that they dunked off Trinidad. I'm like, okay, okay. And the royal seal is on the lock. I suppose it's special. Loot for good Queen Bess, uh, Queen Elizabeth, mm -hmm. um, you know, and um, Mady McDuck is sort of proper here, like wag a civil tongue, pintail. Her Majesty's captains never take loot. They take war prizes, which is a fun way to say, you know, we didn't like steal it. It was, you know, we it was a thing. Right. happened and you know it's it's our trophy like you know fair and square and pintail points out that the chest is so valuable they debate on this islet whilst they raid westward along the spanish main and the captain thinks it'll be safer here during their dangerous voyage it's all very straightforward 
it's almost as if as, as Scrooge's it's, it's almost as if like it's we're really sort of taken out sort of see the story happening it's, it's being told to us what's going on as opposed to possibly us being I want to say this could have actually just been a caption a dialogue box by the narrator but because we've gone back in time we have to be almost a third person who just woke up as Scrooge theoretically just woke up in Mady McDuck's body. Yeah. Doesn't it, doesn't it really feel, doesn't it have the feel of a movie flashback? Yeah. It it, does. It's very effective. I think it's so here's an interesting thing that I'm noticing in, in my reprint at least. And I think you're, you're consulting what looks like a, a one of the reproductions of the original story. Maybe you can tell me if that's the case, but um, it's kind of sepia toned, the coloring they've the, the colorist, has has very effectively um kind of muddied the colors for this flat it's i guess flashback isn't the right term but um you know this this jump back to long ago um the ducks are just a little bit grayer than scrooge's um no um they look the same really um, okay so the original colorist didn't make that choice I, I like that choice for the reprint hey i gotta say bucket that that bosn pintail he looks ever so slightly familiar to me oh uh, clearly he's pete from you know goofy uh goofy's next door neighbor but you know um <laughs> he <laughs> um but um yeah, yeah, he does. He looks like someone, someone who has a varying temper, someone who, like, even his clothes look oddly familiar. Like, that color of the black and the red and the blue hat. It's, mm, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure it'll come up later. I don't know. I'm maybe. sure. Well, maybe so, not. Maybe just nobody. So, so we're, we're goofing, but like, the point is, there, this is blaringly obviously signaled as being donald right this is this is donald in a past life um when he wakes up scrooge is not going to immediately realize that like the reader does but there there is just barks does not allow any it's not very subtle here it really isn't and it it doesn't take away anything to it it's Again, this story is not very complicated and you don't really have to make a big mystery of this, but it sort of makes sense that Scrooge would notice this because it's not really what matters. What happens right. here is he's taken the, he's gone back to someone who already knows who this is in that current tense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's um, sensibly focused on this fantastic treasure. So, so we do proceed to them doing the classic trope of burying this treasure chest and marking the cord it's on the on a map um there's nothing too interesting about this part i mean it's it's neat it's 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 very um it's very well detailed and and the art is really nice it's just a pretty straightforward thing where they the the conversation is interesting you know they make a pledge that in the event that um, you know, they're the only survivors of maybe some catastrophe and end up being the only people that know about the location of this treasure. They're talking about what they would go on to do. Um, Mady McDuck, we sense, is very honorable because he vows to deliver it on to Her Majesty in person. And, and Boz and Pintail is a little bit more reluctant about that. Um, but they end up saluting the queen. They make that vow. And they head off for the rest of the Spanish main. And then very abruptly, Scrooge's nine minutes seem to have ended and he is catapulted back uh, back to the present, the back, back to our 1956 present. Hmm. Um, from back to long ago to back to nine minutes later. <laughs> right. This has been 
I guess the the hypnotist is asking, you know, did he have a nice journey? And and Scrooge is just he is off to the races. He's not even going to stop to tell the hypnotist about what he's seen. He's just had this great opportunity. Of course, he's going to go treasure hunting and recover that chest of gold. He races through Duckburg, planning to head to a hardware store to not to buy a shovel bucket, but to check on the prices to see if he can get a good bargain on a shovel. And uh, we see a very familiar silhouette of a shadow around the corner. Do you want to tell us about who he encounters in their conversation? He runs into the legendary Donald Duck. Okay. <laughs> uh, and what's really cool about when they clap, when they crash into each other is they both pretty much so almost lapse into their past, into Scrooge laps into his past life, you know, we the lords and ladies saved. Um, and they put on like, Donald, my bird brain nephew. And Donald goes, Uncle Scrooge. And what's really cool is in this quick moment here, Scrooge goes, you know, you resemble a sailor I once met. I wonder how you look with an eye patch. And Donald's like, you know what? You got a strange feeling about you too, Uncle Scrooge. I wonder if you look like with a plumed hat and wearing a cutlass. I would also point out that, you know, uh, Mady McDuck was wearing actual shoes. Um, which is always weird to me for ducks. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah, Donald's yeah. like, yeah, that, that's just life. And Donald has no time. Like, you know what? I got to go. We got a long journey to make. And Scrooge sees the shovel. <laughs> and the Yeah, this, this is a pretty great exchange. Um, it's a little bit, again, Barks really isn't as subtle as I think I would like him to be. It's a very perfunctory meeting. We, we know exactly they're supposed to both Donald is supposed to let it slip that he's basically had the same experience that Scrooge has. I do love the panel where they collide and their bills fold down and press into each other. It, it's a riot. That That's a great one. <laughs> but, um, but on the whole, it's a pretty serviceable sequence. It's funny because this sets the real story up. And in a lot of ways, it feels like we could have gone a slightly different route with this. Like one of them could have gone to the other about yeah. clearly what they've seen. But the, the difference, one thing about Scrooge and Donald is, is that at times they're bigger kids than the nephews mm -hmm. and they're alternated for themselves. This is a very weird Scrooge versus Donald story in my mind, because usually a Scrooge versus Donald story is Donald or Scrooge each think they're smarter than the other. And the other one has to prove them wrong. Um, but this one is just sort of, we could easily fix this by just talking to each other. But no, we don't have that. That's not what this comic is about. <laughs> so that, they go off. That's an excellent point, right? This is definitely one of those situations where the lack of communication, I mean, it drives the story forward, but it can be a little, a little bit frustrating. Um, and I had that same thought, right? In another Scrooge story, this could very easily be, okay, I'm going to first, I'm going to go to the hardware store and find a bargain on shovels. And next, I'm going to go get Donald and the kids because I'll need their help to figure out blah, blah, blah. But but that's not what's what Barks wants to do here. He wants to have this this oppositional story. Um, and so we set up the opposition by having Scrooge talk with the nephews and and they don't really know what's going on but they know just enough to clue scrooge in saying that donald's been acting mysterious ever since he came out of a hypnotist's office down the street just now 
And I like I like Scrooge's exclamation, oh my plumed hat. And he has already bought a shovel. Um, and and so Scrooge is thinking out loud, Donald is the reborn Bosom Pintail. He knows where the treasure is by having been levitated into the past, same as I was. Um, so Scrooge sets off to a tropic airline ticket office, planning to beat him to the island. And the nephews, we're, we're going to transition now because it's not solely a Scrooge story. Mm-hmm. We're going to transition to Donald and the kids. And, and the nephews are going to slow Donald down a little bit by very reasonably demanding an explanation of why he wants them to get their sea togs packed, for example. Um, it's funny. It, it, it is. The whole thing is just really funny. Uh, the fact that Scrooge goes, oh, my plumed hat. And he's already bought a shovel. <laughs> right. It's right. like the deal breaker. Like he's already got the shovel. He's basically dug the treasure out now. <laughs> so he's yeah. like, I can't waste any time. I got to go. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie are sort of like, we have no idea what is going on. Let's like, look, 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 look Uncle Donald, we love you. Uh, we respect you some days. But you, what's, what's going on? What is going on? You talked to a man, levitated you. And now we got to get sea togs and we're 10 years old. Why do we have sea togs? <laughs> and they're reasonably, um, they're reasonably skeptical because he's just been hypnotized too. I like, I like that little touch. Um, so, you know, we, we transition through a narrator box where Barks talks about the explanation uh, and, and the nephews are like, are you willing to blow your whole fortune on a trip to this island without knowing for sure the whole business wasn't a dream? Um, and, and they make him prove, prove it basically by resting some details out of him. Um, and they're able, they're going to be able to confirm the, the records, uh, the name of the ship through the library records. Um, I like the name of the ship. It, it's called the Falcon Rover. And he remembers the date, which was December 6th, 1564. So, hey, we're, um, you know, that's really handy. I, I just realized we're going to be, I'm going to be releasing this right around, uh, pretty close at least to the anniversary of it. <laughs> Same month, at least. Um, and then they're able to figure out that the island, the island is about a day, day's sail northwest of Trinidad at an island called Lonely Island. And so the nephews leave to go do their research while Donald paces, worrying about millions in treasure at stake and the kids being practical. And the nephews are pretty excited when they're able to confirm those details at the library, including a passage called The Last Days of the Falcon Rover. Yeah, this is uh, this is just a really fun sequence altogether. And once again, there are stories when he would do in we are the voices of reasons. They're the adults in the room. And this is pretty contrived. Um, so like, no, no, none of this makes any sense. Um, so give us some facts here, which is really how you would address anyone who says like, hey, I was this in a past life. Well, then you should know this or, you know, that. Right. And so they get the data and they go, you know what, let's research this, which really Scrooge would have done any other time. Right. But, but once the once the idea of gold is in his head, he tends to just jet off without thinking. We see Donald do it. Uh, like I said earlier, like most days, Scrooge and Donald are the big are the kids in the room. And he would do and Louie are sort of forced to grow up a bit more. Again, why do they have sea togs in <laughs> <alien> school? <laughs> they have a vast amount of knowledge and desire for research um, that would not be expected of anyone their age. But 
that's sort of like in line with, say, Johnny Quest. Um, they're surprisingly bright kids. And once they get the facts, like, you know what? This actually might be fun. Let's go, Uncle Donald. Yeah, it's, and it's good wish fulfillment, of course, for the for the young readers. I I you're noting that it's it's a very sensible thing, right, for them to confirm this. You're absolutely right. And it's exactly what the guy, the hypnotist who um did that story of Bridey, story of Bridey Murphy. He did not do this basic research um, that would have confirmed, you know, that the real woman's story was not true. So, yeah. And you mentioned too that Scrooge and Donald are, they, they are, they're very impulsive. This whole story feels very impulsive to me. Um, so they, they're on board and, and after Oh, they they also tell him the the most promising detail that they're going to tell on the next page is that the the Falcon Rover was reported with all hands being lost uh, just a few days after leaving that island. So Donald takes a moment to mourn, you know, poor Pintail. <laughs> um, and they they get packed, including shovel, and they head off to the airport. <laughs> and Bucket, who should be one place ahead of them in line. Um, the person ahead of them with his own shovel, because that seems to be a big point in this entire story. Right. Um, it's Uncle Scrooge right there. I love that the shovel almost feels like its own character here. Uh-huh. It's the deal breaker. It's the plot mover. Could they not just buy a shovel when they get there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. No shovels in Trinidad. You got to pay the pay the luggage. You got to go to the trouble of taking one on the airline. Um, the idea of uh, one thing I want to uh, address is like the sort of sad look on Donald's face when he finds out that Pintail died. He's basically realizing, oh, yeah, I died at one point. I'm like, but yeah, otherwise you wouldn't be here, Donald. <laughs> right. That's how past lives work. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> melancholy little moment that, that, you know, Barks doesn't have time to dwell on, but it, well, but yeah, it does it's... definitely makes you think, uh, th- yeah, this is a weird and, and kind of, um, morbid idea. So, so with Scrooge ahead of him in line, he feels, he doesn't feel like he has to keep it secret. He introduces himself as Donald's old bucko man, Matey McDuck. Um, the ducks have a nice little pratfall. The, the, the nephews say, keel haul us for swabs. This would have to happen. And Scrooge, he's, he's pretty cutthroat here. What, what does he do? Bucket. He does something that carries on through most of Duck stories. He decides to buy all the seats left on the Trinidad plane. He needs room for his shovel. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and this is something where Barks is really flexible. He will use Scrooge's extreme thriftiness for gags when he wants to, having him unwilling to like spring for a, a modern map for a dollar instead of a dime in, say, the great steamboat race, because that's funny and it's in character. And then in this one, he'll likewise, he'll use his extreme wealth and have him be a little bit spendy for, for another good gag. Um, um, there, there's no real logic to it, but it, but it is very funny. It's a fun and almost frightening thing about Scrooge to think of how much he could accomplish just by throwing down a right. stack. And I think people sort of forget that. You look at characters like, say, the Penguin or uh, from Batman who can throw his wealth around to get horrible things done. Those things never occur to Scrooge. They sometimes occur to Glomgold. But for Scrooge, it's like, no, 
know, he will throw that money around, usually to teach someone a lesson. And usually it's Donald. Or right. if he's stressed out, say, in DuckTales and the story drowning the economy, because his money is on the top floor of, of a hotel, he decided, like, you know what, I'll just buy the whole building and just call it quits. Like, he can just do that. Right. And for anyone else, I'd be like, you'd have to, like, I can't just buy it. No, Scrooge has that kind of money. All right. He can walk in somewhere and just buy whatever he's looking at. Right. And, story. <laughs> and, and Scrooge storytellers, they have this great leeway because of what Barks has done how, and how he goes both ways with it. So we, we're going to transition pretty quickly here to Lonely Island. Scrooge has got a kind of a little boat. Um, he's got at least a day's head start on Donald. And, uh, you know, he... I'll just transition to the boat moment. He he's kind of he's kind of mulling over what he's done to get ready. He's checking his preparations, um, and he thinks to himself, "I took off in a monstrous hurry." Ooh, I don't think I've ever encountered that word before. Um, I took off in a monstrous hurry, but I'm sure I didn't forget a thing, you know, which is going to be a nice little hint that he has forgotten something. Monstrous. Yeah, I don't see that in uh i don't see that in the dictionary or anything so it looks like that that was barks coining um his own adjective there and and so you know you might think that the nephews wouldn't have bothered since they're going to be so far behind in the race um but they have they've spent donald's money to, for their passage they're very forlorn about it and they're even more downhearted when they learn that a fierce tropical storm is making it necessary for them to land um in the south american mainland uh and and it's going to keep them out of the game for a while right bucket mm -hmm. it's uh it's one of those moments where when you lose this this um this lead because by default Scrooge already being on that plane means he's already there he's al he's already a day ahead right and it's very hard to make up a day all right because uh, we say ourselves like if whether we have a project due or anything when we lose a day um you're never going to get that day back um you'd have to do double the work but this is us trying to get somewhere and then of course the weather happens and it just makes it so much worse um, so they have a perfect good reason to feel so bad about this. Right. And and if not for this weather situation, um, because that storm is going to end up affecting Scrooge really badly. And, and the nephews are just kind of bored waiting in their hotel until they can venture out again. And they decide to take a look at the storm. It does look like a pretty, pretty significant one. And uh, it's a really neat little small splash panel that he does of the storm itself it's one of the there's not a lot of really flashy or showy panels in this one um, mm -hmm. but this one's pretty cool that the caribbean kids in full roar as donald says um and and the caribbean in full roar is pretty dangerous it's just an interesting scene to see like hey looks crazy out there it just um Caribbean storms are, are no joke, especially right. on the sea. It really just sort of setting you up. Hey, this is going to happen. The thing Scrooge forgot to check was the weather, which is a pretty right. big rule for people going on the sea or the ocean. You know, you check the weather because right. uh, it's more than a day you could lose there. And you're right. I'm glad you pointed that out. I forgot to mention that Scrooge has that that recollection. <laughs> he says, "Blast my binnacle! I did forget to check something." <laughs> Um, there, there's a lot of pretty straightforward storytelling in this one. It's fine. It's very serviceable. So what do the ducks end up seeing throughout this storm surge? 
um, they see a rather familiar boat just sort of, you know, losing it out there in the Caribbean Sea, going back and forth, being pretty much tossed around like a beanbag in the Caribbean so- storm. And Donald just wants to go up there. Um, Huey and Dewey go, that's there, Uncle Donald, hold your horses, which I do appreciate that the, the nephews have totally invested in this pirate story, that they've just changed mm-hmm. their vernacular and everything else. Um, there's like to hide behind the rock. And because this boat, it turns out, is Uncle Scrooge's boat that has crashed on the rocks. Right, right. As you say, it's it's a nice little touch that Barks makes all of the characters throughout um, use a little bit of this old maritime slang. And, and and he doesn't overdo it. It doesn't get like tiresome, I don't think. Um, it's also interesting that, you know, it's Donald here who really wants to be kind of the good deed doer. And the nephews are like, hold up, let's see, let's see who this is. But you're right. They discover that it's Uncle Scrooge forced to go to shore again with that shovel, the only thing that he's saved. Um, so the ducks are very cheered because everyone's on even footing now. We do get another really cool full width splash panel of of the storm in all of its glory. It's like wrecking every ship on the island. Um, Very neat. I like that one a lot. (laughs) But but Scrooge does notice one nice skiff that's been um, secured high and dry above the waves. Do you want to tell us about that interaction? He sees it. Um, he's like, okay, cool. Skiff. We got this. I just got to get the skiff. We're good. He goes to visit the, to see the gentleman who owns the house, who presumably owns the skiff. He's like, hey, I'd like to rent your boat after the storm. And you turn around and um, the storm has happened to the skiff. And the gentleman asks, still a deal, senor? He goes, you ask the dumbest questions. It <laughs> just goes <laughs> off. It's, it's a great bit of pacing, right? He <laughs> asks him for it in one panel. A tree destroys it in another. And, and the guy is like, uh, st- still a deal? <laughs> I, I found it very funny. Um, it's, it's a good little gag in the midst of it. So we transition to the end of the storm. Um, and the ducks are making plans to be the first to get to Lonely Island. But um, as they inquire about renting a boat, uh, it's cute. Some of the villagers are kind of cheering, the storm is over, viva el sunshine, in a little <laughs> bit of pigeon English, uh, Spang- Spanglish, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth noting that, you know, this is not one of those stories where the people on the island are treated with, they're treated very respectfully. There's not, not, a ton of stereotyping going on here, at least relative to some of the other stories that would have similar settings. And so they talk to someone who points out that the only craft left afloat in these waters is one called the Little Pageant Raider, which is a small copy of an English man of war that's used in like their pageant. Um, So this is a nice touch, right? Because the ducks see that the ship would be basically it would be a replica of the Falcon Rover, but but in small scale. Um, So they want to rush to be the first ones to rent it. But but as with the airport, they recognize the voice of a certain someone who is just one step ahead. Do you want to read the line there that that Scrooge uses, Bucket? Swallow my eyes. This is the clumsiest craft I've seen since I barged gold down the Yukon, but I'll have to rent it. And it turns out it's Uncle Scrooge, in case the Yukon bit didn't give you the give you the clue. Um, but it's always nice to hear crotchety Scrooge. It's one of my favorite things that right. carries throughout all the different iterations. If he's not crotchety, I don't want him. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I really like that line. I find that very funny. So again, the ducks despair, but they do get this opportunity because um, Scrooge is, is going to have a really hard time finding a crew to to run what is basically like a showboat. And so what what is the ducks' bright idea, Bucket? They have taken the bright and pretty ingenious idea, really, of you know, putting on a disguise and, um, you know, pretending to be his crew. Like, yeah, he needs a crew. He won't clearly won't help us. So let's pretend to be actual hardened sailors who know what's going on and, um, you know, be his crew. It's charming. It's hilarious. The costumes are adorable. And it's hilarious that Scrooge just identifies them as a one-eyed sailor in three midgets. <laughs> Right. And of course, you know, that's a term that is definitely out of fashion these days. Um, it was very commonly used in, in that era. So I won't pick on Barks for using it, but but it should it should be noted that we would call them little people today. Um, but but they're pretty funny, like classic Barks disguises, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The nephews look deceptive enough that you would that I could see how Scrooge wouldn't think. They were his grandnephews, but Donald clearly, clearly all he has done is cover one eye. Right. <laughs> and he, and he looks more like Boz and Pintail, frankly, now. I think the trick is, is that uh, Donald doesn't have a shovel. I think that's the clue. <laughs> the right. shovel would have given him away. <laughs> right. Um, excellent. So again, this is pretty straightforward in, in a longer bark story. He probably would have stretched this last voyage out a little bit. They might've encountered something else. Uh, but we're just, we're heading towards our Island and, and, you know, the nephews are kind of celebrating their clever idea in, in secret, uh, saying we couldn't beat uncle Scrooge to the treasure. So we'll just get there at the same time. And eventually they um, they land. Uh, Scrooge spies Lonely Island with his spyglass. And Donald comments. <laughs> Do you want to tell us Donald's line? Swoggle my scuppers. It looks just like it did in 1564. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so Scrooge commands that they stay aboard as he'll go ashore alone in the dinghy of the little boat. And Donald now reveals himself shockingly. Saying you wouldn't be leaving your old buddy behind, would you, Matey McDuck? I, I love that. I love Scrooge's outraged surprise here, right? Donald, you hornswalking throwback to a pintailed pirate. You tricked me. <laughs> That's a great line. You know, so Scrooge is just gonna, he's gonna have to make the best of it. They're gonna try and and do the honorable thing. Um, it, it's kind of hilarious because this could have all been exactly the same story had they just agreed to go together. Um, sure. <laughs> that's really it. Um, there's not much antagonism in the back and forth. Granted, that will be clearly un undone in the next sequence, but it was still just, just a fun bit that I think had it been played up a bit more, it would have felt a bit more deserving of the shock, but Scrooge and Donald have been like vague. Scrooge has been missing Donald like every other chance to sort of have a back and forth with them. There's no real pippy dialogue outside of the shock that Donald's here, Uncle Scrooge is here, and Donald's here with his shovel. Uncle Scrooge is here with a shovel. And now we're going to see these shovels pay off. <laughs> right, right. 
You know what just occurred to me, actually, when you mentioned that this could have been the same story with someone else? I feel like there's a lost opportunity to have had a specific villain in this story. I think I would have liked to have seen Chisel McSue from the Horseradish story as as the antagonist. I'm, I'm imagining if he were... If he were Scrooge's opposition, um, you know, instead of Donald and Donald was was part of the same deal, it could have been really interesting because, of course, they faced off in this same Caribbean part of the world. And, and, and you know, the the idea of the horseradish being this like weird but at the time precious cargo in that story kind of plays well with how this one is. So so just an idle thought. Uh, but but I also really like Chisel Mitsuo as a villain, and I thought he would have been neat to stick around. Yeah, um, that idea was that is actually better than mine. My thought was just to go sort of basic. Not sure if he'd been introduced yet at this point, but we could have brought Flinar Glumgold in on this. Another moment for them to have a back and forth, because that would have worked even more. You could have had it be that you know Donald needs work, all right, as Donald tends to, and he gets hired. By Glomgold doesn't even know it's Glomgold. Like, hey, this guy, this rich guy needs me to go help him find the treasure. And by the time he finds out it's Glomgold, it's too late. He's already there. And the nephews are there. It, it would all still sort of work. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because this is almost contemporaneous with the second richest duck. Um, I haven't released it yet, but I, it's I just recorded it a couple of nights ago. It'll be the episode right before this one. So oh. so yeah, if you if he had been in the mood to reuse Glomgold, I could definitely see it working out. Um, yeah. And if he had done that, I'm sure I'm sure we'd have seen a lot more appearances. All right. So anyway, tell us tell us about their arrival on the beach. So as soon as they get there. And despite, despite the fact that they're two grown adults who realize they both kind of have a stake in this, they're just like, you know what? Let's just fight with these shovels. All right. A salute, Boston Pintail, says Scrooge, to the treasure. Long live the treasure. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie just watch these two grown men fighting with shovels. And this is, let, let's be clear, a shovel is not the safest thing to go no. swing with people. And but luckily, these three 10 year olds just tackle their grown adults, their grown uncles. And, like, aren't you ashamed of yourself? After that noble vow you made long ago, you wind up fighting over the treasure like a pair of common pirates. To which Cruz points out, I personally made no such vows. Right. Right. <laughs> it's hilarious. You're right. That shovel fight's really funny. I like how it starts out with them like basically pretending to be noble or making an effort to it, mm -hmm. right? Saluting each other. And then it just devolves. <laughs> I, I also like how it, it totally parallels the vow that they had previously made to Queen Bess. But of course, this one is much less noble. They're just saluting, <laughs> saluting the treasure itself. So yeah, the nephews point out that, you know, there's nothing worth fighting over until we confirm that this isn't some sort of double dream. Bucket, why don't you take us home and, and tell us about the actual excavation here? So after a nice rapid digging fest, uh, it's just a really great scene. Mere seconds later, as the narrator points out, they find the chest. It's a relatively light chest. And Scrooge and Donald have agreed, like, you know, whatever's in it, it's ours. You know, good Queen Bess won't miss the money. You know, okay, sure. Um, they find that it's empty, but it isn't empty. 
there's some dried up potatoes inside, along with a letter. And the note explains everything written by Captain Hawk. It is my firm belief that these strange and wondrous vegetables will be greatly prized by her Imperial Majesty. And Dewey points out, yeah, um, potatoes were unknown in England at the time. And Louis, which I think this is a very Louis question. Well, what are you boys going to do with your rare old treasure? And for the first time, they're generally on the same page this whole story, and they just decide to beat the brakes off, <laughs> off the treasure chest, and um, they said we're going to do way worse to a couple of hypnotists. It, it's a it's a solid ending. It's a nice little. Um, Barks likes these Im- imminent threat of violence endings. It, it's pretty funny, and this is a fun trope, right? The the. The treasure is something that would have been valuable at the time, um, but no longer holds any value whatsoever today. That, that's a trope that I've always enjoyed, and it works really well in this context. All in all, I think this is a really solid ending to, you know, I, I mentioned at the outset that the story doesn't necessarily feel rushed but as we've gone through it i'm kind of reconsidering i I do think this feels a little bit rushed and it could have used maybe three or four more pages to breathe yeah um i think the problem is that the the conflict is so weak and and shallow in a lot of ways because there's no reason why scrooge wouldn't want to work with donald in this story outside the fact he wants the treasure for himself it really feels like barks want to create such a disconnect between the sort of noble um men that malcolm and boston pintail were that they're doing this in service of the queen of their captain of the service they provide and here these two just want the treasure yeah i think you're right there's there's a lot of um he tries to get a lot of mileage out of these contrasts uh and it largely works but you know maybe not as well as it could have i also tend to like the the stories where Barks does a really great job of bookending, you know, and we don't really get that bookend here. Um, there, there's no returning to Duckburg sequence. We don't see like the the hypnotist. To me, it would have been funnier if we saw the hypnotist like escaping out his back door with um, Scrooge and Donald both holding up their shovels menacingly trying to knock their way into to his office or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing. Um, but the story, it does feel a little bit abrupt. I, I do. I, I enjoy this one. I, I think... I don't think I expected to enjoy this one um, as much as I did before I revisited it, you know, because I remember this and I always remember thinking this is a pretty weird story. It'll be interesting to talk about this one for the podcast. The the hypnotism stuff always left a, a bit of a bad taste in my mouth bucket because it's one of these examples of, of a few Barks stories where Barks has Scrooge really invested in something kind of kooky. And I don't like that. I don't like seeing Scrooge acting kooky. I think about this one and like a later 60s story where Scrooge is like obsessed with his his astrologer's star chart. Trying to remember. It's like a it's it's one where he's looking for a cave full of emeralds. The title escapes me right now. But um, but I always that's just not my bag as far as a story goes, where he's into this kind of like new agey stuff. But but if you do, if you just accept the premise of this one, I think this is a pretty fun, 
um, entertaining story. Yeah, it, it it gets the job done. Um, I, I I agree with you. I like when Scrooge is sort of put more into the um, your grandfather that knows everything. Um, he's uh the seasoned traveler. I think only a poor old man really showcased that really well. Right. You know, he's got this wealth of experience to draw on, or. Um, in King Solomon's minds, I think he shows off his intelligence a bit more here. This sort of shows Scrooge is still sort of prone to fads in some ways that, but you have to really sell the profit idea here, that it's worth way more. The idea that if Scrooge gives up on, on $90, there's a chance he'll you know come out with so much more. And right. that is what gets him. We saw the same thing in um, the Golden Fleece. Like, you know, even when, even though Scrooge is a bit, you know, ridiculously trusting of of um, of this mysterious person, there are moments where he's like, "This, I'm not quite sure. I don't know. I don't." Then he gets the, he sees the golden fleece is put in front of him, and he sort of the rational side of him sort of goes goes to sleep a bit, or is like pushed aside. Right. So, yeah. And, and it helps in this one that he's he is skeptical of it until he's actually hypnotized. Um, but you know he's open enough to it to to buy in. It's it's just not the kind of premise that's for me. But um, but I, it, this is a fun one on the whole. Um, I would I would put this I would kind of slot this in as like a, an average bark story is kind of the way I think of it. It's your your typical just fine bark story, which of course you know in in terms compared to like a lot of other comics creators that still places it in its own sort of range of greatness, right? Mm-hmm. It's um it's a solid story that I think its only real downside is it's competed it's competing against other really good stories, right? Uh, but it's still, it's still, again, still solid. It's still funny. Um, rereading this here, I never realized how much I love the character of the shovel. All right, <laughs> this is this is top tier character here. All right, like I, I think Barks should have really done a whole series about this organization <laughs> of shovels in sure. the Barks universe. All right, because there's something going on here. The shovels, the shovels start this story in its own way, and then they end the story. In this. A shovel buries the treasure. A shovel uh, can be used to protect the treasure. Then a shovel destroys the treasure. Yeah. <laughs> like poetry, it rhymes. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It is a very funny bit. I do. I do like um, the overuse of the treasure for of, of the shovels for comic effect. It's it's really good. Uh, let's see. I I think we covered that pretty well. Are you ready to get into kind of the the community consensus for this story? Yes. Let let let's see what the what the people have to say. Right. So so it sounds like you and I are in, in pretty close agreement, right? That this is neither of our favorite stories, but um there's nothing like really objectionable about it. And and it's it's a fine time. It's it's a good it's a good enough story. Um if we check in on Index, you know, which is the great resource that has all kinds of information about Disney comics and that users can can rate the comics on. So it gives us a pretty, pretty good idea of what the community thinks. This one gets a 7.7 out of 10 bucket. And and that's a that's pretty solid. Um, it's good for a numeric score of it's it's a ranked score of 126 as of right now out of all the Disney comics. So you know it's not coming in in the top hundred or anything, but it's definitely like in the higher tier of Barks Adventures. I I don't remember. I made a I made a very nerdy list at some point, and I did like um. I did a what do you call those things with the video games where they they rank characters 
uh, by tier, a tiers list. I did a tiers list at one point, and I believe this one was just in that average range. Um, probably, probably well into the upper half, though, of stories, as most of these early Scrooge adventures are. But yeah, people like this one well enough, and um, it has had a little bit of an afterlife in other Disney comics, right? You had mentioned, um, you'd already alluded to the fact that Don Rosa uses some of these details to to flesh out his life and times. Yeah, you mentioned chapter five, right? That's that's where we're going to get the most. That's a very strange chapter in that series. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing it's probably the most divisive chapter for a lot of people. Um, maybe, maybe. Um, I know I loved it. Um, I loved it as a kid. Um, but then again, I read that entire story out of order. <laughs> sure. I started with part twelve. <laughs> yeah, that would be a. Didn't even know it was part 12. I was like, this looks cool. I have no idea why Scrooge is so sad. <laughs> and, right. But the last page was really good. And I remember reading um, part five, The New Lord of Castle McDuck, and seeing going to McDuck Heaven and seeing all these other McDucks really sort of showed you a bit more than I thought was really capable of this story at this time. Like, you know, I'm, this was, these were the only comics I was reading at the time. I didn't have any access to really anything. Mm-hmm. I just saw it and went with it. And hearing that, that scene, like Sir Quackley, Sir Quackley McDuck actually does call uh, Malcolm McDuck out when he says that Scrooge invested all his money in the cattle industry before it went bust. He has no business sense. And Sir Quackley points out, and who went down with the Falcon Rover in 1564 on a treasure hunt for potatoes? <laughs> like it may have been special to England at the time, but there's no financial future <laughs> in potatoes. Right. Yeah. So that, that chapter, I mean, I, I, I loved, I love that series. Um, but like there are parts of it where I look back on that one. I'm like, that that's pretty weird. Right. That in a, in a way that is a little bit discomforting to me, but, um, but then if I think about this story, I, Barks had his moments where he went, went with these kind of kooky premises too. So, so in light of that, it's definitely not that weird at all. Let's see, you know, I, but I, I think I've pretty much gotten to share all of my thoughts other than doing like a um, checking in on our favorite panels. Do you have any other any other thoughts that you'd really wanted to mention regarding this story? Um, so my my version, which I think is is the original version, I do like when Scrooge's um, clothes are that one set color. There's times when it's green and I didn't really like the green. This sort of burgundy is like a really good color for him, which was another thing going into the comics was very awkward for me to because I was used to the red and blue from the DuckTales cartoon. Right. But I think my favorite scene would have to be sort of at the end when um, Donald and Scrooge, you know, pledged to the treasure. And of course the flashback of Malcolm and, or Mady McDuck in this one and uh, Pintail uh, making the pledge to the queen. And of course the the scene in the beginning, um, just sort of seeing Scrooge in his money office, which I think it is the actual bin because you can see the the window. in the right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of his overflow rooms. Um, yeah. Those are, that's a good choice. I, I like that contrast between those two salutes a lot. Um, as, as far as like favorite panels, I'm thinking about it. And, and in this read through, it really stood out to me, the, uh, the the smashing into each other while holding the shovels that that's just such a great slapstick panel 
I also really like the very first panel where he travels back to the past and you see them rowing their, their skiff to the shore the first time that they appear as their past lives selves. Um, there's just some really beautiful details, some nice illustration of that. We see the, I guess it's our only real shot of the Falcon Rover, in fact in the whole thing. So there's a good view of the Falcon Rover, a couple of, another example of Bark's bird foregrounding where he draws a couple of, a bunch of seabirds around. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's just really lovely, lovely panel. Um, and then I did really like that sequence where the, <laughs> the, the dry docked boat gets crushed immediately as Scrooge <laughs> is bargaining for it. Any, any other favorite panels that came to mind for you? Um, anytime Huey, Dewey, and Louie are allowed to look so cynical about what is going on, um, mm, there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing like amazingly drawn about it. It's it's just a steady standard moment. But anytime those three are sort of forced to be the voice of reason, um, I just sort of enjoy because you almost forget for a moment that they're nine to ten year olds, right? And it, it's a fun thing. You'll see it in so stories like The Simpsons with Lisa, and it's always fun because then you go to stories where they are just allowed to be kids, and right. it's still right. hilarious and it's still fun. Then all of a sudden, they're they're geniuses, and it's fun. And I, I've been debating on my next Ducktales lore video, and. I'm not ready for Donald. There's just way too much of Donald sure. to go through. Um, but I was thinking of doing Huey, Dewey, and Louie because they, while they're pretty interchangeable in the in the comics, there's always a special role they play. Maybe not as individuals, but as this collective fun unit of of characters that they like. Donald, they can sort of adjust to any story, but rather they adjust to whatever role the story needs them to be in. Yeah, they they're very reflective of whatever the story needs them to be, and I love them for that. Yeah, that's that's a, I think that's right. They're definitely a unit, um, and and definitely in this one, it's pretty rare that they're even named individually. You know, you were pointing out their cynical kind of sequence. I I just was going through this part. Check out this panel where they're pouring over the logbook and they kind of <laughs> dive in to get a closer look, and the two nephews on the outside um, sandwich the middle nephew. <laughs> uh memorably that that panel i really like too that's really cool it, it is it is a fun one it it really is and i think one thing i've always liked about the nephews in regards to this is there's always been the question as to in the inevitable moment when scrooge will quote-unquote pass or travel through time going after magic and spell um the jury is still out um who would take over and he's always sort of implied that it will not be donald as much right. as he secretly likes donald Donald's not the one. He does love the potential, the hard work ethic, the open-mindedness of the nephews. And here, they're not so much as showing off their open-mindedness, but in this and the Golden Fleece, they show off their, their maturity, but their hesitancy to always go for the shiny thing going on here. And I do like that. They've got a lot more restraint than the adult ducks in, in some of these stories, for sure. It, it sort of goes with the idea that a fool and his money are soon parted. Um, the boys mentioned like Donald's going to risk his entire quote unquote fortune. Scrooge has not only lost $90, but however much he paid for all That's those right. seats on the plane, as well That's as to rent thing. out the replica of the Phantom Rover, of the Falcon Rover, he's lost all of that for a treasure chest of shriveled up potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun outcome. It's not, it's not maybe the most memorable ending. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess it is fairly memorable, actually, probably the most memorable part of the story is, um, I mean, certainly it's the 
the actual traveling back to the past, the, the past lives regression. Um, but a close second would be that ending itself, which which has a nice little kick. Yeah, the story is more selling the, the gimmick of hypnotism. This isn't the story that really elevates um, Scrooge and Donald to the characters that we tend to think of them as. This sort of goes like, no, the, there was a time when they were just Scrooge and Donald. And in the same way that you could look at how, what we expect from a character like Batman now was not expected of him at the time this was all written out. He was just looking for a good time to be at. And this is a good time to be had. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think this is an adventure that's well worth joining the ducks on, um, if if mostly to laugh at them. All right. I, I do try to mention DuckTales, right? I'll just, I'm not aware of any um, of any time that DuckTales tried to adapt this in either of the series iterations, but I don't have that great memory of the um, second one because I only gave it one watch through. Do you know of any reference to this story? Um, so if I'm not mistaken, in the curse of Castle Mac- uh, the, what was it? I forget the name of the episode. It's it's early in season one when they go to visit Castle McDuck, and I do believe you'll see Malcolm Mady McDuck as one of the ghosts in Castle McDuck, but that's pretty much it. Neither right. the original or the reboot address this particular story because it's really not that exciting a story. It's um, it's pretty generic in terms of the premise. If you take out the hypnotism, there's a treasure. We go look for it. That's kind of it. Nothing, nothing really more than a fleeting reference. Um, yeah. Excellent. Well, I, I think we did a, an admirable job of covering this one. Um, so let's see. I guess we should. I guess we should give each other a nice shovel salute and right. uh, and wrap yep. this story up. Um, I I really appreciate you joining me for this one. Bucket Bucket Think Tank, of course, is your channel on YouTube, right? Where people can find your Ducktales videos, um, Ducktales lore videos, as well as other things. And anything else you wanted to mention or promote? Um, so for inter- uh, the Ducktales lore video. I have no set date for that because I'm still not even 100% sure I wanted he would do in Louie. Um, because what I do for those is I would go for each iteration of them as possible. Now, for the comic version, it's more they don't really stand out as individuals. But uh, you go to, say, different cartoons and iterations. One thing I'm somewhat proud of is when I saw the first episode of the 2017 one, I knew exactly which episodes from the original DuckTales they used for the personalities. I do want to see if I can think of another another video where I would compare different stories or ideas from, say, the 2017 series to other versions, especially if I can find the actual comic that it was based off. Thankfully, Fantastic Graphics, Fantagraphics, I'm terrible at what it's called, um, um, is been a great help um oh i know it's 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 nice to have it's it's nice to have someone still <laughs> releasing duck comics in some form in the states Disney all right well well yeah people i i don't I, people can check out your your lore videos and um i again i really appreciate you joining me it's been a lot of fun we'll have to have you back for another of these people can check us out we're on the socials barks remarks is on facebook and um and instagram i share a lot of fun stuff on facebook especially including a more expanded like favorite panels thing so um definitely encourage you to check out instagram's kind of an afterthought but uh, i do some fun stuff on there too our next episode 
should be a doozy. It's it's a huge favorite of mine. I'm a big fan of A Cold Bargain. So I'm very excited to cover that one. Um, Bucket, I like to, these days I like to close out the episode by having the guest read the last panel. So um, even if it's a repeat, close us out. Right. All right. I'm just going to go to that page. All right. But not half as much as we're going to do to a couple of hypnotists. Excellent. All right. Thanks again. I really appreciate it, Terrell. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. 